This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, our podcast and now YouTube channel as well, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Also found at Spirit Matters Talk on the YouTube channel. Uh, uh, we talk about all things uh, that relate to contemporary spirituality. Uh, and uh, we want to ask uh, right at the beginning to uh, hit the subscribe button, whether you're listening to the podcast or watching us on YouTube, very important to us. And we want to thank those folks out there that have helped keep us on the air by making their contributions. And you can find out about that at spiritmatterstalk.com. We are not a nonprofit. It's not a donation, but we appreciate the, uh, the support. We're very excited today. I'm very excited. I'm sure Phil is too. We have uh, two gentlemen on that have been, we're, we're friends. We've known each other for many, many years. Uh, uh, Dean and I spent many hours meditating in the uh, Alps years ago. And uh, Chris, I've known for many, many years. And they, they have a, they are the film, philosophers, philosophers, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. They'll have all the information about that. They discuss films. And I, I have to tell a little brief, tiny story. When I first met Dean back in the uh, mid seventies, I guess, it was in Iowa. It was at Marshy University. He was doing a master's thesis, I believe. And the subject matter was uh, the Godfather in the light of consciousness, in the light of spirituality. And at the time I thought, are you kidding? I read it, it was absolutely brilliant. I was blown away because The Godfather was one of my favorite movies. And then I, I actually thought, boy, the insights he gave me, how come I didn't see those? So anyway, uh, so Chris and, and Dean have taken this wagon and kept riding it and have done some amazing stuff with their philosophers and uh, take it away, Phil. And I have to say, Dean and I were classmates at that time, and I did my thesis on J.D. Salinger. Oh, <laughs> catcher, catcher, the catcher in the consciousness. Yeah. So, um, yes. Uh, just so our listeners know, uh, we are indeed all old friends, but this is not nepotism. We're going to be it's, rough. It's, it's not nepotism, it's cronyism. It's cronyism, and it's a bribe. They bribed <laughs> us to be on the show to promote their... I think it was the other way around, yeah. <laughs> so this is movie night on Spirit Matters, and um, let's begin with... Uh, the the uh, the main event, which is Chris and Dean co-host a YouTube series called Filmosophers, so uh, which came as a surprise to me, even though I've known them for a long time. Uh, so let's begin with why you started the show and what is the purpose of Filmosophers. Let me just add one thing. Uh... Chris was a child actor in Hollywood back in the 60s. And Dean is the author of many books. Uh, he's a speaker. Um, and, and all of us have had experience teaching meditation for many years. And Dean wrote a book, uh, Cinema Nirvana. What more appropriate title? There you go. Uh, and uh, so they are deeply qualified to speak about films and spirituality. Yeah, and should we just talk, Dennis? Let's let you know. Uh, why? Yeah. Do we need you, them? You, no, you guys are doing fine. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So well, I can, I can tell question. you real quickly that the genesis of the thing, um, I had, uh, I had a live weekly radio talk show, on community radio station in Fairfield, Iowa, for 15 years, 
And it, it just kind of was, it was a marriage of my interest in movie, my interest in movies, and my interest in spirituality. And we didn't just talk about spiritual films because any film can be viewed through a spiritual lens or not. Um, movies are, you know, our modern day uh, um, version of the, of the ancient stories told around the camp, the, the fires and, of, you know, in ancient times, stories of, of, um, of myth, of enlightenment, stories that were meant to entertain, amuse and frighten. And movies, of course, we know they tap into that collective um, in, in interest in vicarious experience and seeing the world in so many different colors and, and, uh, and variety. So I had this live uh, radio show for 15 years with a, a, another friend of mine and the radio station closed two, three years ago. I thought that's that. But about a year ago, I was calling my for just a year ago. I called my dear longtime lifelong friend, Dean Slider, who I knew had written the book of cinema Nirvana, who was a, an avid film buff as I was and who had, you know, very, very strong kind of spiritual consciousness credentials. And I asked Dean, would you be interested in, resurrecting the show with me and co-hosting um, as a YouTube channel, as a podcast, which we had not done, I had not done previously. And to my great delight, Dean agreed. And we, uh, we started recording some shows last summer and fall. We launched in February. We're posting a new show about once a week on our The Filmosophers YouTube channel. And, uh, and, and the rest we hope is history. It will be, I'm sure. Dean, you want to add anything to that uh, origin story? Yeah, you know, when I heard from from Chris, I was I was a, a pretty busy boy with other projects, but um, Chris and I just always have so much fun when we get together that I couldn't resist, and so it it really has been a barrel of monkeys, um, and and opportunities to interview people like David Lynch and Michael Imperioli and as well as as lesser but no less interesting names in the film world and to find out <clears throat> in some cases that they had a spiritual dimension uh, in their filmmaking and or in their personal lives that you might not have imagined you know who knew that Michael Imperioli right Christopher from The Sopranos and Spider from Goodfellas is a very, very serious practitioner of Tibetan Buddhism. So we, we had a, you know, just a lovely time talking with him. If I could ask uh, uh, Dean, I mentioned in the introduction that you had done that paper and it was a very serious paper uh, mm -hmm. about uh, uh, principles of consciousness of spirituality found in the movie, The Godfather. What, when did you start thinking in that direction and, uh, did it, is it something that just came to you? Did somebody inspire you? Was there one film that triggered that? How did, how did that all begin? Uh, it's just my brand of insanity, you know, just connecting dots that, that uh, other... There's a, I can't remember that there's a name in psychology for people who see patterns that aren't really there. You know, people who, who look at the clouds and see, oh, that's, you know, that's the dragon and that's the princess or, or you know, that's my father beating up my mother or as the case may be. And, uh, you know, maybe I have a more benign version of that. I just mm -hmm. see connections in things. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, Dennis, that paper... You, you've recall, you've recollected that paper partly correctly. Um, 
it was actually about several films uh, in the light of- I think Jaws, was Jaws one of the films? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, I think Jaws was in there. Definitely King Kong was in there uh, and a few others. And, and that paper uh, be, did become the genesis for my book, Cinema Nirvana, years later. And, and then what, what happened was we'd keep going, my first wife, Maggie, and I, we, we'd go to movies and we'd come out of movies. And I would be running off at the mouth about, oh, and that, you know, in the Groundhog Day, when this did, and that's just like this thing in the Dharma teachings. And that's like, you know, and, and she said, Dean, why don't you go off in the room somewhere and write this stuff down instead of chewing my ear? So that's pretty much how that book came about. Well, since we uh, brought up Cinnamon Ravana already, we'll come back to philosophers. But uh, one of the things I always uh, appreciated about the book is I remember when you were working on it and I said, well, what films are you going to cover? Was your choice of films to cover uh, because in, in sp spiritual circles, when people talk about spiritual movies, yes, it's usually, you know, uh, the obvious ones. It's Brothers, the Wizard of Oz. It's uh, Brother, Son, Sister, Moon. It's the Song of Bernadette uh, and whatever. And you were choosing... Uh, the, the, the Matrix, yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. that's right. All the... All the all all that low-hanging fruit. That's right. Uh, the obvious stuff. And um, you were going for, in a sense, the not obvious teachings in not yeah. obvious movies. And yeah. uh, you make those connections beautifully, uh, which separates you from the other people who see connections and become QAnon. And... <laughs> Right. Uh, so tell us about that process of making those choices of including the godfather and uh i forget what else the graduate yeah. and uh easy mm -hmm. rider mm -hmm. snow white and the seven dwarfs <laughs> yeah right um casablanca had to be there right casablanca dennis was in that first paper that i did and is the last chapter in the book because that's got that's the ultimate that's after it. Casablanca there's yeah. nothing else to say um actually uh, I quoted from the last scene in Casablanca in my last book because yeah. it was the ultimate of selfless service yeah of, of reaching for a higher cause right. and giving up personal satisfaction yeah finding something bigger than yourself because yeah, because, because it's We'll always have Rishi Cash. Was that no? <laughs> right, right. And because and because you know right. the whatever the problems of three little people don't amount right. to a hill of beans right, right, in, right. This, in this crazy world. Uh, absolutely, and and that's where that's where the bogey character. That's where Rick finds. You know, when we first see him, he's completely wounded. He is he is he is under the thumb of dukkha of of suffering because. He's concerned with his happiness, his own self, selfish, small s self happiness. He's 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 nursing a broken heart, and it turns out that the only way for him to heal from that, we find out at the end, is to when he has a chance to get Ingrid Bergman back to to give that up. 
for the greater cause. In right. this case, the greater cause becomes joining the, the war effort. And when he, wa you know, that very last shot, when we see him and, and, and Claude, uh, Claude right. Rains, right, from behind walking into the, the mist, right? right? And which, by the way, they, the writers couldn't come up with, had trouble coming up with that last line that was looped in weeks later. And you can hear there's a slight difference in the sound quality, that, that, that gorgeous line. It was worth the wait. Right, it was. Louis, I, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. That beautiful friendship is what in Buddhist terms is called, that's bodhicitta, that's universal friendliness. That's the extension of the impulse of love and friendliness beyond the small personal realm to the universal realm. And it's significant. You know, I didn't put this in the book. This, this one's occurring to me just now. This is how it happens. That we're, we're seeing them from the back because they've lost their faces. They've lost their, their individuality is now merging into the, the universality. And by the way, they're walking into the fog. And that's a miracle because there's no fog on the desert. Right. It's Egypt. Yeah. 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 You know, this, uh, by the way, I want to warn our listeners and viewers, you'll probably never watch films in the same way again uh, after listening to this. Uh, I, I wanted to ask uh, Chris, you're the one guy here that grew up in the film industry. And, um, and then you got very involved in, in spirituality. Uh, what, did, did you make a connection between the two at the time? Did you, were, were there elements in the film industry that uh, encourage you to move towards spirituality and just curious about that. No, I, um, my, my dad was in the movie business. Uh, I got introduced really by almost by chance. I went for a, uh, he was working at Fox studios. <clears throat> There's a TV show in 1961 that was produced by Fox. <clears throat> they needed a 10 year old kid. My dad said, I'll bring my son in. I got the part. My parents saw dollar signs and got me an agent and uh, I went on calls and I got work and it was a lark. It was, it was nothing to it. And um, you know, I helped put groceries on the table during a time when financial uh, the financial fortunes of my family was precarious. Uh, and that went for about four or five years, but it turned out in that, at that time in the industry, um, uh, the studios, if they could hire a 16, uh, hire a 17 or 18 year old, to play 14, 15, or 16, they could work them longer hours. They didn't need a teacher on set. There were lots of economic wow. reasons why it was ad advantageous to hire older to play younger. Now, some young actors who, and they're among the ones that were at, at my age at that time, uh, Kurt Russell was a you know young kid who was on a lot of calls with me. He got some parts, I got some parts. He hung in there, I didn't. Um, when the parts started to drift away because of the union situation at age 15, 16, I just kind of fell away from it. Well, it turns out a year later, I learned uh, transcendental meditation. That just kind of changed my path in life. And uh, I, you know, I just, I, I never really missed it. It was a fun while it lasted, um, but um, I, I, I did miss it. But I, I do still get um, some uh, still like a dollar and $2 residual checks 50 years later. And, and having, having known your mom as I, I did, I'm surprised she didn't pick at the studio uh, to get you work when uh, it dried up. Um, she was actually surprisingly easy. She was not a stage mom. She wasn't pushy. There were no expectations put on me. It was very relaxed. 
we were all kind of grateful, you know, for, for and it was, I'll tell, I'll tell you, I had a blast. It was fun. I got to meet some great people. And I was on shows like Dr. Kildare and Ben Casey, branded with Chuck Connors, you know, a lot of TV commercials. Um, did a, a four-month run on, uh, in Hollywood and a stage play, the, 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 the World of Ray Bradbury. There was three one-act plays by Ray Bradbury. I just, it, was, it was fantastic. It was, just a, it was, it was a, just a lark for a, a 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old. Wait, I went to that play. I saw, I saw that. I forgot that you were in that with someone Gould. It was unforgettable. Gould. Yeah, yeah, Harold yeah. Gould uh, was in it. He, you may remember him from, uh, he played Kid Twist in The Sting. Um, ah. He might have been Rhoda's father in the series right. Rhoda with Valerie Harper. He's in a lot of, we're, lot right. of movies. We're giving away our ages here with mm-hmm. these ref- film references. Right. Yeah, and this was, um, so this was earlier, this was 1964, so this, this preceded his Hollywood career. Right. Now, about, about a year or two later, Chris and I actually had a job together. We, we wound up spending a day in the studio with anyone who grew up in our era in the, in the, in, in LA area will um, uh, in the sixties will remember the voice of Art Gilmore. He was this great golden voice, baritone radio announcer. This is Art Gilmore. So Chris and I and Art Gilmore made a series of radio spots for the cinematic masterpiece Pinocchio in outer space. Really? 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 And I think I was th- 13. Dean must have been 15. You know, we're life. We, we've known each other since we were babies. Our parents were friends in Long Island before both families moved to L.A. And uh, so uh, somehow we got this gig when we were teenagers. Right. That's how far back this whole thing goes. Okay, I'm right. going to break the. Uh, oh, you got. A, a yeah, one, one, okay. just one more, one more point on this that that about a year ago. I found on YouTube, someone posted the set of complete set of these radio spots and you can find them. You can hear our voices. I'm the one whose voice, whose testicles have dropped. <laughs> Chris is, Chris is the other one. I've got a good excuse, Dean. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to ask a, a, a different kind of question now. A lot of people in in spiritual circles will be uh, very reluctant to see movies that are uh, overly uh, exciting or negative, that have maybe some violence or some dark themes Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, The Godfather is one of them. I remember people, uh, I'll tell that story another time, but talk to me about um, that effect of jarring uh, content on, you know, that deters people. They think it's not spiritual somehow to see, you know, violence on screen or uh, troubling themes uh, people suffering, people being uh, uh, oppressed or whatever. How do you see that? And what can people find in certain films to uh, transmute that? Well, I could make a quick comment and then ask, you know, get Dean's opinion. You know, I see it both ways. 
Um, I certainly understand people who uh, take the approach that, you know, what you put your attention on grows stronger in your life. And you want to uh, put your attention on, if you want to put your attention on positive and wholesome and life supporting themes and content, you want to avoid things that may be troubling, disturbing, violent. Um, the other side of it too, I think is that, um, uh, you know, just to be natural and to go to your tastes. And I think that you can watch films of any kind and maybe consider it a test of the stability of your own inner wake, <laughs> inner awakening. That, you know, um, as our friend David Lynch, the director says, because people ask him all the time, David, you know, you've been meditating so many years. How do you, how, why do you make such dark, troubling movies? He says, you know, conflict is as old as, 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 as the world, as humanity. And, but you don't have to suffer to show suffering. You don't have to, you know, be a, to, to show troubling or conflicting situations. You don't have to take it on yourself. So I, I do understand and see it both ways. Yeah. Um, I would say two things. One thing is that people are wired differently and the, the you know, from one person's, um, tolerance of, of, of for seeing violence on the screen, their tolerance level is going to be very different from someone else's. So there, there are films that I won't watch that, but, but then there's things, a lot of things I'll watch that even my wife won't watch. Um, it's kind of like, you know, the old George Carlin thing about driving. There's two kinds of drivers on the road with you, uh, morons and maniacs. Morons is everyone going slower than you, and maniacs is everyone going faster than you. <laughs> so, so kind of like so I, I so I consider to me personally, it feels like people who won't watch The Godfather because they think it's going to upset their spirituality. I just think they're prigs and prudes. But really, I you know the bigger view is that it, it's all relative. Okay. Uh, all right, let, let me follow up on that. Yeah. <clears throat> For both of you, uh, uh, a film that uh, you saw, either of you saw, that was particularly spiritually inspiring for you. Chris? Oh, yeah. Me? Either way, yeah. Particularly inspiring? Well, yes, a, a film you saw that, wait, wait, every, yeah, maybe you've seen it more than once, that you um, inspired uh, spiritually. There are a couple, a couple of movies that get me every time. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life and Field of Dreams. There you, go. Um, you know, they, they, they get me every time. And I've seen them many over and over many times. I mean, they're my, some of my favorite films among my favorite films are Lawrence of Arabia and uh, Patton. And they really, you know, I mean, they, they plot the hero's journey and they're movies of people who are in their Dharma, who are on their evolutionary path and have really found their time and place to just, you know, to, to really, um, discover themselves and, 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 you know, really make their, make their mark. So, you know, those are among the ones that come to my mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's films that I can watch over and over again, the third man, uh, but, but specifically spiritually inspiring the first, the top of mind for me, wings of desire. Ah. And it, do you know that one? I Wings do. of Desire, shot in Berlin. Vendors. Uh, yeah, shortly before the fall of the Berlin Wall. And it's about angels who, and the angels, first of all, the way he represents the angels, they're tall men in trench coats with ponytails. And 
what they do is they go around and they find people who need healing, people who are just upset, depressed, contemplating suicide, and they whisper in their ears and they help. And of course, the people can't see them there. They think it's their own thoughts and they and they help bring. I mean, and that's just the beginning where it dives off from. And then it it gets deeper and crazier than that and then halfway through peter falk shows up and it's just it's incredible well do you have one well what came to my mind was people often ask me because of my work what drew me to india and the teachings of india and one of the early influences before i i you know read all the books i would later read and all that was seeing the apu trilogy the, the 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 sublime series of three films by Satyajit Ray, the great in Bengali Indian filmmaker, uh, taking one person's life from childhood into uh, adulthood in three, and the middle uh, film, as I recall, is set in uh, Varanasi. What we call Varanasi then was Benares beautifully filmed in black and white with a score by Ravi Shankar before anybody we right. knew who he was. Uh, and I said, oh, I got to go there. Mm. And it was just, there was something about the music right. of Israel. And of course, because it's India, the spirituality is um, just part of the ambience of, of the whole right. series. I, I want to throw my couple out. Uh, one would be City Lights with Charlie Chaplin. Uh, really just moved me to the mm -hmm. core. The silence and what, what he did with the silence, that was amazing. And then if you have five hours sometime or six hours, uh, I just remember as a kid seeing The Robe and then it was a double header at the or Twin Bill and the sequel to The Robe, which is Demetrius and the Gladiators. And it just went on for a long time, but I felt very inspired by it at the time. But there are many, many films. And again, after uh, reading... Dean's uh, thesis or his paper, uh, I started to think about it more. That uh, yes, I'm discovered, discovered, discovering spirituality in films that I never thought to even look for it in. And so I think that get the book, uh, uh, Cinema Nirvana, see how you can start thinking in that direction with or without the book. But the book certainly gives you some insight into it. And uh, it, it makes everything richer and fuller, just like seeing spirituality and everything we experience in our lives, you know. So. I, I want to pick up on that because I was going to ask this question mainly of Dean, but you too, Chris. Um, the kind of thing you do in Cinema Nirvana if, of finding the, the sort of the teachings, the Dharmic teachings, the spiritual teachings in unexpected places, is that a habit of mind uh, that people, are there methods to doing that, are there is there a is there a is there something you would advise someone to do going to any movie to see what is to be gleaned, or is it just the way you happen to perceive things? I, I, I it just happens for me. I don't know how it can happen for for other people. Um, you may recall. When we were with Maharishi in, where the heck was this? When, when I think it was uh, uh, Interlaken, Switzerland. They, they, yes, 
teaching, doing Vedic studies in Interlaken in what would that be, 1973, 74, that winter, I think. And he, uh, he gave us an assignment to go home and go back to our rooms and the next day come back to the meeting with um, uh, some kind of schema of showing the relationships between the different branches of Vedic literature, okay? And there's a videotape of this somewhere in the bowels of the, <laughs> the, the TM video archives. I would love to see this because at the, the very end, a couple people get up and someone made a windmill where, okay, the veins of the windmill are the four Vedas and the this is this and the... And at the very end, of course, it's at the very end, because as always, I was last minute, I was, I think, standing in the back of the room, making my little drawing. And then I came up to the microphone, I was a drawing of an elephant. And I don't remember what, but you know, the eye was something, something was the Upanishads, and something was the Bhagavad Gita, the tusk is this, and the, the eye is this, and so forth. And, and Maharishi just laughed, he just clearly I, you know, I, I made a hit with him. So it's just, that's, that's the way I'm wired. And, sometimes and, it, and it's a good, and it's a good thing because my skill set is extremely narrow. That's about, that's about it. I, I, I can't change a tire. My wife has to pack my suitcase <laughs> for me. There's at least three of us, uh, yeah, four of us probably in that same boat. Yeah. Chris. Phil, Phil, if I could just uh, your, uh, take on your on your question about uh, the habit of is it a frame of mind that you that you can cultivate or culture? I, I you know I'll read film criticism sometimes, film reviews, and I'll feel like a dummy because I'll read the thing and think, well, I didn't think of that. I I I can see that, and yeah, I that kind of brings out some value of the film that I didn't even consciously appreciate, but that I recognize, and some I agree, and some I don't. Um, I think you know. Uh, people just see through the lens of their own awareness. And it may be that just um, Dean may disagree with this, but I think it's a kind of a sign of integrated awareness, integrated consciousness and in integrated intellect that you, 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 there's an old saying, you see what you are and, you know, you can watch a movie. And if you're kind of have that through that lens of awakened awareness, you'll see, you know, you'll see the connectedness, you'll see the humanity, you'll see the, you know, the archetypes, you'll see the knowledge teachings. And, uh, but, but maybe sometimes, as Freud said, a cigar is a cigar, and you just watch the movie and take it on its own terms, too. Right. Yeah, but, but you're right that you should be able to find that anywhere. I mean, you know, that was Maharishi's whole premise of creating his whole curriculum at Maharishi International University, looking at geology, looking at musicology, looking at all the traditional disciplines through that lens. In fact, my first book, this is my one book that went out of print, is called Why the Chicken Crossed the Road and Other Hidden Enlightenment Teachings. It's, it's hard to find because it's out of print. But there I took like jokes and uh, nursery rhymes and old proverbs things. You know, you could do it. I could do, I could probably do it with science if I knew anything about science. Right. But Dean's had some of the great book titles of all time. I, I remember one, The Zen Commandments. Is that right? Was that yours? It, it is, but I can't take credit for it. That 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 was. I had a different title, and that was the one that my publisher insisted on. I, we actually had a, a little bit of a of a fight about that. Phil, I'm sure is. Um, yes, familiar. I've been. I've had those fights, and usually I'm glad I lose. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, right. right. Hey, Phil, we should uh, wrap it up. So, well, any yeah, final points. We question? have a, 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 some time left. Uh, I want to ask about filmosophers again. Yes, you, you've done six, seven shows by now, uh, as I recall. What was there anything in the interviews you've done with people that really surprised you? And, and let us know where it's available. Let our listeners know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you go 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 to YouTube. And uh, it, it, we, we have a channel there. It's The Filmosophers, F-I-L-M. We'll have it all posted up, too. We'll have it posted Yeah, up. right. As, as well as, as um, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, mm -hmm. you can get it in podcast form. And a so tagline we sometimes use is, we help the film fan avoid the flim flam, which my kids think is completely corny, but I'm so attached That's to it. <laughs> and so, yeah, go to the channel. Please subscribe. If you, you know, if, if you like what we see. And to answer your question about um, surprises, um, let me think of any You don't surprises. have time to think, Chris. My, my favorite. Pete, go ahead. I, I would say one surprising moment that I enjoyed when we were interviewing David Lynch. And I had a little bit of a coughing fit. And, and my first thought was, okay, we're going to have to have Chris, actually, Chris's wonderful daughter, Rebecca, who, who does editing. Okay, Rebecca will cut this out. But then David said, boy, that's an interesting sound. That's really cool. I could really do something with that sound. <laughs> so we had to leave it in. <laughs> the interview with David was really fun. We did a little, uh, uh, a little bit of David Lynch trivia at the end of the show where we... Um, uh, I, I read some of David's because David writes all his own films. I gave him some of his screen dialogue and he had to identify which character said, said the line. <laughs> it was really, I said, these are, these are softballs, David. I think you're not going to be trouble. He said, don't set the bar too low, Chris. Cause then if I mess up, it's going to be really bad. <laughs> but that was, David was delightful. He did a, a 10 minute riff on, uh, on, on finding the perfect chocolate milkshake at Bob's big boy. Um, that was just a delightful digression. Um, but all the guests have been great. We've had um, Academy Award production designer uh, Eugenio Zanetti, who won an Academy Award for the film Restoration, talking, wow. and he's quite an amazing. That's actually being posted soon. Um, just a real Renaissance man, painter, artist, uh, opera and theater director, uh, and 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 a, Su a Sufi practitioner. So we got a real insight into Sufi philosophy. Um, as Dean mentioned, Michael Imperioli is a you know Dharma practitioner. Quick question about Michael Imperioli. Yeah, he play, he's such a quintessential tough guy. On in in, in at least in the roles I've seen him play, um, the kind of actor who you think he he can do something really heavy at any moment. Did you ask him about as a Tibetan Buddhist? practitioner, um, whether uh, it's easy or difficult to play that kind of uh, criminal character, that kind of antisocial character. We, we, we didn't go there with him, but, but and I, didn't, I never personally felt in, dan un, in, in danger under <laughs> him the interview. Um, well, but he was, he was, we were just, we, it, was in, it was via Zoom, you know, we're, yeah. we're safe here. But, but you know, if you, if you watch through the whole Sopranos 
all all the seasons even just as that one character is christopher he's he he has such vulnerability uh, has uh, such sweetness and sensitivity which he's then always trying to you know cover up with all this tough guy armor ah uh, good but, but th the most interesting thing i think that i recall from our interview with him was having spent some years doing Vajrayana, Tibetan Buddhist practice myself, I asked him about, um, there's a kind of very typical Vajrayana practice um, where you go into meditation, where you go into the place where everything is kind of dissolved, and then you, um, you, you meditate on, on what's called an idam, which is a, a, a meditational deity, you know, some particular, you know, character, like one of those forms you see on, on my altar, and, and, you, and you're chanting a mantra to the deity and so forth, and you become that. You're, you, you take on that body, you take on that form, and then at the end you explode it. And, and the point of it is not to stop being Dean and, you know, start being this deity, but to find out that you're not Dean or a deity. You're not any form. You are the formless and you can put on and take off these different suits of clothes that we call bodies and personalities. And I was very interested in whether he had made the connection between that kind of practice and acting. And he absolutely had. That's and, he, great. He, and, and he absolutely said, yeah, it is the same process. You have to really do it. You have to, you can't just start trying to take on another thing. You have to dissolve back into that place of, of, of everything dissolved and then reemerge in this form and then drop that. And we will now dissolve. dissolve. It's we, this, uh, it was a joy. We had the uh, Siskel and the Ebert of spirituality great, great with fun. us and um, watch their YouTube channel. Yes, we'll have that all posted up. And so when you go to their YouTube channel or to their podcast, subscribe. And, you and then watch go to our channel and subscribe, subscribe to us. And yes. donate. Donate to these, these, great causes. these guys, these Dennis guys. and Phil, for God's sake. Keep us on the air. <laughs> Probably will stay on the air anyway, but now in our archives, about 300 shows, free and open to the public. Please take advantage. Okay. And uh, the philosophers, thank you so much. We'll have all their information up. And I'm sure we're going to do another show with them at some point. We'll look forward to the coming episodes. Thanks for having hey, us guys. on. All the best. Thanks, guys. Thank you.